Welcome to the Living Rock podcast. I wanted us to be a little bit more um, around the table this morning because what I, what I have to say, I believe, leads us to worship and leads us to break bread together because what I have to say this morning is all about the holy temple that God is building. And um, we, we all like to know what it is, don't we, to, to fit in. Is that right? We all, we all like to fit in. None of us like to think that we are the outsiders, do we? It's not a very nice feeling to have. And um, there's something about human nature that kind of desires company, wants to be people, wants to be with people who are like us. And we, uh, we probably don't think about it in those terms, but, but that, that's what's going on. But we can all think of times and occasions when we have not fitted in. You know, when I was a teenager, I loved playing football. I very delusionally thought I was good at it and was going to be a professional footballer one day. Uh, that was never going to happen, by the way, but it didn't stop me believing it. But there was, there was a group of boys I played football with at school who were in the Sunday league. And they would play every Sunday morning when I was at church. And I felt like I really didn't fit in because that group of guys was really tight at school. And I was always feeling like the outsider. Again, when I was a teenager, I got into the Beatles in the 1980s. You've heard of the Beatles, right? Yeah, okay. So uh, in the 1980s, that was not a very fashionable time to be into the Beatles, okay? But I got really into the Beatles. I felt a bit of an outsider, but yesterday, just need to tell you about yesterday. There's this Beatles podcast, right? And I listened to it because I'm a bit of a Beatles nerd. And they had a gathering in London, and I went down, and poor Sharon came with me, and, uh, and we listened to people talk about the Beatles all afternoon, and as these folk, as these folk came into this place, they were all just like me. <laughs> there was a very niche dynamic of age range in, in that gathering. It was all sort of middle-aged men now who were teenage fanboys, you know, in the 1980s, and... Uh, yeah, I felt like I fitted in yesterday, probably not for all the right reasons. That's okay, that's okay though, isn't it? You know, all sorts of things separate and divide people, don't they? Sometimes we see division along uh, the lines of race. All, all the stuff that's going on at the moment in the world around us about gender and how people feel that either insiders or outsiders. We can see division and separation because of people's preferences. If we think about some of the conflicts we saw in the world in the last century, particularly in places like Northern Ireland and Rwanda and Yugoslavia, separation of people, not for really any specific reason other than, well, they're just not like us, you know, Catholics or Protestants, or those the Hutus or the Tutsis in Rwanda and, and all, the, all the nations that separated become the separate states that were Yugoslavia. And, you know, what a, what a horrible thing, because people felt outsiders and there was division. But, you know, things should be different in the church. Amen? Amen. In the church, there are no outsiders. And I'm talking today about the church with a big C. Yeah, the church of Jesus, the worldwide church of Jesus Christ. The church who are God's called out people. Chosen since before the foundations of the earth. You're probably remembering some of this stuff now because I've been talking about it for the last few weeks. The people that 
that Paul describes as the saints. Do you remember all this? God's called out people, those who have put their faith in Jesus and named him as their Lord. And today we're going to look further in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we'll know by now, I hope, that this is a letter reminding us who we are individually and collectively. Today we're thinking about the contrasts in our life before and after we've come to know Jesus. How that change has happened, what it means to us, and then how we strive to preserve all that Jesus Christ has won. And then finally today, we're going to break bread together as a sign and a seal of all that God is doing among us in these days. Does that sound okay? Brilliant. Well, Holy Spirit, we, we ask you to give us ears to hear this morning. That we will let your word speak for itself. And that you will come and encourage and convict and excite and inspire us as, as is appropriate to us individually. We give ourselves to you now as we open this word. Amen. So I'm going to start reading today in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. And then we're going to skip a bit and we're going to finish in chapter 4. Okay? And I'll explain the skipping a bit as we go through. It's, it's all okay. You can trust me. So would you open your Bibles? It will really help today if we have got Bibles in front of us so we can be looking at the words because I want to refer to a few things as we go along this morning. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 11. Paul writes, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Jesus Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as the one body... Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made 
part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And I'm not going to read chapter 3 today. And it's not because chapter 3 is no good. But chapter 3 is, is where Paul kind of diverts. He goes off at a bit of a tangent. And he diverts from what he's saying. And uh, he expresses uh, what, what the, uh, the heart of God is for the world. And talks about the magnificent purposes of God. We're going to come back to chapter 3 some other time. But he diverts, he goes off at a tangent, and then halfway through himself going off at a tangent, he goes off, a tangent, off on a tangent again. So if you look at verse, at verse uh, 1 and verse 3 of Ephesians, he, he says, oh, oh, and when I think of this, I want to add something else. And then he gets to verse 14, and, oh, and when I think of all that, oh, I just want to worship. <laughs> but then he gets back to the point, start of chapter 4. And so I want to pick up reading at the start of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and living through all. Amen. That's the word of God to us. So Paul is writing here to, to the Gentiles. And just, just to explain this funny little word, we don't use it ourselves today, but the Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jew. Okay? So if you're not Jewish, well, you're a Gentile. That means I'm a Gentile. And I think all of us in the room are Gentiles as well. So that's, that's who Paul is addressing in this letter. And, uh, and he says that Jews would look down on such people. You know, I think Paul knew this because he was a Jew. And in his past, he had looked down on some people. You know, a lot of what Paul writes about in his letters, I think when he writes about, you know, you were once like this, but now you're like this. Yeah. It's because of his own experience. He goes, well, this, this was me. I know how it was. I know what's happened. And it's the same here, I believe, when he says, yeah, the Jews, they would, they would look down on those who were Gentiles. They were very proud of their heritage. Though they, they were far from expressing God's heart for mankind in their pride. And uh, they would use derogatory phrases about those who were not Jewish. So we've got this little phrase, the uncircumcised heathens. But uh, you know, that, that was said in a way that was smug and, and arrogant. And, no, we're special and you're not, even though the thing that had happened in the body was not anything that had happened in the heart. It was nothing that God was doing. And uh, this is a, this is a, a passage, to Ephesians 2, where Paul once again uses this, you were once like this, but now you're like this. Paul uses this device, this, this little writing device, over and over again in his letters. You were once, but now you are. It's powerful, isn't it? And you know, it's powerful in our lives as well. If we think we were once, but now we are. And that's what Paul is encouraging his readers to think. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 12 and look at, uh, at how we were what we were like. So we've got the next slide, Joey. So we were, here's the first one, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 12, we were living apart from Christ. As Gentiles, we were living apart from Christ. We were not men and women who were in Christ. In Christ is, is Paul's 
go-to phrase for describing those who have put their faith in Jesus. If, you've got, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says, you are in Christ. That's, that's his go-to phrase. But, uh, but not we were living apart from Christ. Not in Christ, and Christ not in us. Here's the second one. Gentiles, we were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. We're not part of God's holy people based on our ancestry. And therefore, here's a third one, unaware of the covenant promises God made to them. So you, you just didn't know. You just didn't know anything about it. Just as we, if we uh, are living here today in the town of Market Harbour, don't know very much about the culture of people living in South America. It's just not our experience. So uh, the point that Paul is making, well, you're, you're not part of God's people. You didn't know what God had said. You're just not even part of that culture. But therefore, Paul says this last thing. You are living in this world without God and without hope. This is the condition of any of us who have not named Jesus as Lord of our lives without God and without hope. And you know, we will have friends and we'll have colleagues and we'll have neighbours and acquaintances. We'll have family members who are living today without God and without hope. And our response to that isn't to feel smug and arrogant as the Jews were doing, as described, but, but rather full of winsomeness, full of a desire to reach those by demonstrating the power of knowing God and knowing hope in our lives. So that's what we were. But here is Paul's but now. Here's the first one. But now, verse 13, you have been brought near to God through Christ. Yes. How has that been done? Listen, through the blood of Christ. Yeah. That's how it's been done. So we've been, been, been brought near to God through Christ, through the blood of Christ, by his death. That is the point that Paul wants to make. Verse 14, uh, Paul says that Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles, that is, all people, into one people. How has he done that? It's in the passage again. In his own body on the cross. Through his death. This is how we have had our lives changed. This is how the but now happens. It's because of the, of the death of Christ. Verse 14, what else has happened? Well, he's broken down the wall of hostility that separated people from one another, perhaps because of ancestry, because they're different, and he's created a brand new people. The things that separated people in the past no longer cause separation if they are in Christ. How has that happened? Again, in his own body, on the cross, through the death of Jesus. And then verses 15 and 16, he created in himself one new people from the two groups. Do you remember earlier in Ephesians 2, we were talking about God's masterpiece, the church, and how the church has been created anew. And that's what Christ has done here. He has created people anew. Whoever they are, wherever they're from, Jews or Gentiles, but one people. Together as one body. Christ has reconciled 
both groups, Jews and not Jews, to God. How has he done that? By means of his death on the cross. Paul keeps repeating this. And our hostility to one another was put to death. Because of what Christ has done. Through his blood. By means of his death on the cross. You know, I wonder whether, excuse me, 2,000 years later, we can almost be repeating and reading these phrases without feeling anything. Paul writing to a church in Ephesus, um, the people in, in that day would have been used to or have known about real people in their real day being crucified in that horrific manner. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not our common experience. And I wonder whether 2,000 years on, we kind of lose some of the horror. You know, because, because we, it's just not our day to day. That's kind of not our fault. We're in, we're in a different day, in a different age. That's okay, that's good. But we get a bit immune from the gruesomeness of what really happened when Christ went to the cross. Can I read... Um, some of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God and he wrote about what was going to happen to Jesus long before it actually happened. But I think in it he captures some of what really happened when Jesus went to his death on the cross. So I'm going to read Isaiah 53. I'm going to start and read at verse, uh, verse 3. If you want to close your eyes as we read this, you're really welcome to do that. Isaiah writes, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. 
and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. Thank you, Jesus. That's what Christ has done for us. That's what he went through on the cross. Lord, spare us from trotting out glib phrases without understanding the horror that Jesus went through for all those who put our trust in him. And you know, it's because of all that Jesus has done that Paul says, we belong. Great. Verse 19 says, we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We belong. If we're trusting Jesus today, we belong. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. But rather, we are citizens. You know, citizens belong somewhere, don't they? That's what makes you a citizen. You belong somewhere. It's a mark of identity. Citizenship confers rights. Citizenship confers safe passage and access. We belong because we are now family members. You know, we have brothers and sisters. In fact, we have more brothers and sisters than we can count. And as a family member, we know personally our loving father. We belong. And we also belong because we are his house. We're his house built on firm foundations. It says built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And you don't hear this. The apostles and the prophets, both past and present. The church of Jesus is being built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone. The most important stone in the building, in the house, is Jesus Christ himself. Ensuring the whole house seems true and secure. And Jesus has achieved all of this by his blood, by means of his death on the cross. So that now, verse 21, we are carefully joined in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. At the, uh, yeah, verse 22, through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The very dwelling place of God. 
the very dwelling place of God. God says to us this morning that if we are trusting Jesus, then we belong. We're citizens. We're family members. We're part of the house. We are together the place where God dwells by his spirit. What an amazing thing. And so we've missed out chapter 3. We're going to jump to the top of chapter 4. Okay, So let's turn the page in our Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 1. And it starts with the word, therefore, in my Bible. And what I know from Bible Study 101 is whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself what it's there for, okay? So whenever you see a word, the word, therefore, it's like, okay, ask myself what it's there for. And um, this is what it's there for. It's all these thoughts that Paul has been gathering in Ephesians chapter 2 about being God's holy temple, the place where he dwells by his spirit. And in view of all of that, in view of Christ bringing us near to God, in view of Christ bringing peace between people and God, in view of him breaking down the wall of hostility between separate groups and the creation of one new people, in view of all of that, that he begs, he pleads his readers to live a life worthy of our calling. For we have been called by God there are both rights and responsibilities in this citizenship. Do you see how, how Ephesians chapter 4 is a response to what Paul has been writing in Ephesians chapter 2? Yeah? Chapter 3 is brilliant, by the way. So we're not, not down on chapter 3 at all. But Paul's train of thought is, look, this is who you are. This is what Christ has done. And chapter 4, therefore, this is what I want to ask you to do. His instructions to believers is to always be humble and gentle, to be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults. The Christian Standard Bible says, bearing with one another. You might have something slightly different in, in your translation. Because of your love, because of your love for Christ, and because of your love for one another. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, Remember, chapter 2, this is the peace that Christ brought to us. Bind yourselves together with it, he says. In this holy temple, let there be an inclination to be together because of our love for one another. Sometimes in church life we find things difficult, don't we? We're not immune from that. In church life... We don't always have things done exactly the way we would choose to do them. I think that applies to all of us. And let me tell you this. Those who lead the church, well, we don't always see things done in church life just the way we would do them. Because we're a sum of our parts. And that's brilliant and it's beautiful. Sometimes we can feel hurt or slighted by one another. We can be misunderstood or... We can feel that we've been spoken to harshly or unfairly. We can actually let one another down from time to time without really knowing what's going on. But in this holy temple, when there are difficulties, and you know there will be, let our inclination be to walk towards one another rather than walk away from one another. 
when there are hurt feelings, and there may be, within this holy temple, let there be an inclination to restore relationships quickly and genuinely and being prepared to ask others for help in that if we need to. When there is a fault in behaviour, in this holy temple, let there be a readiness to ask for forgiveness and to forgive. Let's be people who live in the fullness of Jesus' words to his followers when he said that the world would know that they were his disciples by the way they love one another. And you know, this is a prerequisite for mission. Loving one another deeply is not a, is not a bolt on if we fancy it. But it's a prerequisite for the mission of the church. We can't possibly tell the world how great God is and how he loves everyone if, if in our midst we're not prepared to love one another. I, you know, I'm not speaking into any particular situation today. I just want to let you know that. I've got no, no hidden agenda going on here at all. But this is the word of God and we need to take it seriously. And we might not choose to state it this way, but where we don't do this, where we do let in anger or unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment, we are in fact saying that the death of Christ is not sufficient to bring peace among us. And that it's okay for this holy temple, the, the place where God lives by his spirit, to be corrupted because it's more important that I get my own way or retain a sense of justification for the way I feel hurt. And Paul would plead with us to think again. This is so important. So he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Make every effort. The clue here is it's an effort. <laughs> Something needs to happen. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, 14, it says, work at living in peace with everyone. Okay, you've got to make an effort. You've got to work. It doesn't just happen. There's some doing needed. That's how you make an effort. And you know, the thing is, Christ paid such a high price to redeem his church. Him going to his death on that cross was not a light and an easy thing. It was not the comfortable thing to do. But he did it to redeem his people. To bring peace to his church. Our making every effort surely is a natural follow-on to all that he has done for us. So here, here are some ideas. Perhaps making every effort, in the first instance, means we make every effort to be together. When the church gathers, well, I'm part of the church, so I'm gathering. I'm going to make every effort to do that. Maybe our making every effort needs to make sure that our schedules and our rhythms of life and our priorities match up to the life that, um, that God has set before us. We're together in our worship. 
We're together in prayer. We're together in the preaching of the word. We're together in gatherings large and small. We're together in serving one another. And we're together in the mission. Being together, we're the church. Let's make every effort. You know, we're at the end of an academic year at the moment. Schools are just about to finish. Holidays start very, very soon. And uh, we start looking ahead, don't we, to the next season and the next, the next school term. And you know, life's going to change a bit for everyone. And everyone goes up a year and gets a bit taller. How, how about in this new season that's coming? You know, parents of young families, how about this is the season we set some rhythms in order that we are making every effort to be the called out people of God. That might mean you join the life group. We're going to shake up our life groups a little bit over the summer, not very dramatically, but one of our groups is going to close and we're going to start another one. And we really want everyone to be part of a life group. Yeah. It is so important yeah. because it is, it's a much more intimate place together yeah. where we can share life, where we can pray for one another, where we can care for one another. Yeah. How can you possibly care for your brothers and sisters in Christ if you never put yourself in their environment where that's possible? So maybe it's joining a life group. Maybe it's turning up at the life group you're in already. Just an idea. Maybe we need to ask for some help from, uh, from one of our trusted friends. A bit of accountability. I really want to, I really want to be making every effort but I need some encouragement. Will you help me with this? We can do that together. I don't know, but maybe there are some conversations that need to happen within this body to ensure and to check that there is peace in this holy temple. That's what Christ has given himself for. Whatever working hard may mean to us, we do know that we do all of that with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a striving to make us sweat and it's all very difficult and a tough discipline. No, because we have the comforter with us. We have a friend alongside us who's there to help us. You know, sometimes making a change in our life patterns or restoring a relationship or whatever it is can seem quite daunting, can't it? But if we do it with the Holy Spirit alongside us, it becomes a completely different uh, challenge. It is Christ's plan for the church. And Christ will accomplish all he sets out to do. Amen. And why is it important? Well, the last little bit I read, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 5 and 6. There's one body and one spirit. We're called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and living through all within this holy temple. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.